Hello, beautiful people. Thank you for clicking on this episode and joining us here at the Melanated Intellects Podcast. My name is Patrice. And my name is Shayla. We are here to talk about everyday melanated topics while bringing a distinct intellectual perspective. Thanks so much for joining. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for clicking on this episode. We have a lot to get into today. Just in case you guys haven't checked out our IG page, we will be posting episodes bi-weekly now, uh, just for a little bit. Uh, It's going to help us out and we wanted to be able to announce that. So just in case you didn't see that, we wanted to let you know. Um, This is Black History Month. Not that we have to only speak about Black history during Black History Month, um, but we are in for a surprise today. Patrice has some good stuff. I have some good stuff. So here's what we decided to do. This episode is going to be about Black women, honey. Don't worry, Black men, you're coming too. We didn't leave you out. Uh, So first, we have chose to spotlight an individual from history. I chose a person. Patrice chose a person. Ideally, we wanted to choose someone who you know, we love our classic greats, but you know, the ones we all know, we kind of wanted to avoid and maybe dig into some individuals, give you a little bit of history about people that you might not know. Or if you do know the individuals that we're going to spotlight today, then maybe this is a good refresher, or maybe you learned something about them that you didn't previously know. So let's get into it. Take it away, Patrice. Yeah. Um, so first and foremost, I definitely want to highlight a few things about Black women, right? Um, it has been an amazing last, what, 10 years, we should say, That's when it comes to right. statistics. Um, so a couple of things I pulled from Forbes, just to kind of let the stats back it up. I think I've told you I'm a numbers person. Um, so in general, the women-owned businesses grew by 58% from 2007 to 2018. But the number of firms owned by Black women grew by a stunning, according to Forbes, 164%, which is nearly three times that rate. Come on now. Okay, okay. Listen, we are doing it. Um, And there are 2.4 million African-American women-owned businesses in 2018, And these women are from the ages of 35 to 54. So come on, Black women, okay? A round of applause for you. Yes, Black Girl Magic. (laughs) (laughs) I love statistics like that. Um, I think, you know, when you think about all of the stereotypes that we go up against, especially coming up, you know what I mean, from being... From dealing with, you know, don't wear blue eyeshadow to horse hair to all the old things that we grew up hearing, especially us 90s babies. Um, It just, it is music to my ears to hear that women are going against the grain and really making moves. And I believe it was in 2017 that small businesses made up 87% of the workforce. So we are also Mm. providing jobs and, you know, contributing to the economy. So that's a big, 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 big deal. Um, Now, you know, there's a lot to go into that, but you know, it's all great stuff. I love to hear it. Yes. So um, with this, you know, honoring Black women in history, I did a lot of digging. Um, actually, this conversation was sparked on TikTok. Y'all know I just, I'm obviously on there for laughs, but uh, some of the conversations across seas tends to pop up and it's always really enlightening for me. And there was, um, I don't even want to call it a trend because it was so significant. There was an ongoing conversation between Africans and Mm African-Americans where Africans were making videos saying that they heard that African-Americans felt unwelcomed returning to Africa. Yeah. And um, because of this, they were like, no, 
you know, we, you guys are our brothers and sisters. And it was a very emotional exchange between African and African-American TikTokers. And I just loved the conversation from the comment section to uh, just the ongoing videos, how emotional it got. It was just so important. It reminded me of when Black Panther came out and how yes. that rebuilt that relationship. It was amazing. Um, it was organic at that. So in researching this, of course, there's always one commenter. We love them all. Um, there was somebody who said, while we come back, you guys sold us. And it was somebody who looked like they might have been African-American. And I just thought, really? Come on, man. What? 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 You know, um, <laughs> but to, you know, to their point, someone did respond, someone from Africa, and they said, you you're you keep relying on your history and your US history has failed you. You know, Africans fought for you. We it wasn't just only the Haitian um revolution, but also there was here in Africa on our soil, we fought once we found out what they were doing to you all. So they brought up this name, Nana Ya Asantewa. Asantwa? Yes. Sorry, y'all. Okay, first and foremost, I'm American. I'm trying to pronounce African names, so I'm going <laughs> to not get this right and stumble. Please forgive me. I practiced as much as I could before I got on this podcast. But no judgment. No judgment. Okay. No judgment from me. <laughs> I don't think American words the right way, okay? So let's just, please come at me with grace over this. But Nana Ya Santwa was who I found and who he was honoring as far as leading this war. So the story is... All right, so I'll take you guys to a little bit of a history lesson. Now, I was digging up and doing a lot of research. You know, I take history with a grain of salt because it is told from a perspective that hasn't always been (laughs) as truthful as it always could be. Um, As an African-American woman, I know this all too well. Unfortunately, growing up in the American history classes and, you know, our education system. So um, I know that, you know, when I'm researching this, I always take it with a grain of salt and think about who wrote it, what do they know, what do they major in, what's their specialty. And so, you know, I did approach, you know, the encyclopedia.com and the history channel stuff, yeah. you know, <laughs> <laughs> I went route. but I got so annoyed because, you know, when they talked about the colonizers uh, within Britain, they just kept describing them as judicious and legitimate and all these words. I was like, what? Like it's 2021. How are we still betraying colonizers this way in history? So I digress. I found one, however, it's actually for those who are interested. It's called the Black Past. And um, it's a really, it seems like kind of like its own little history blog. And the writer is Philip, forgive me, Mr. Philip, Philip Awusi. And he is from Ghana. And he is also an independent historian. Mm. So I liked his approach to the story. But basically, it's about, so this story that uh, Nana Ya Santwa um, is basically it kind of comes down to the, at least the part that I'm covering anyway is the Golden Stool War, and what happened was so. Let me tell y'all a little bit about this, okay? okay. So in the 17th century, the Ashanti Kingdom basically received this Golden Stool. Now the story is that um, a high priestess um, basically. Uh, 
I can't. I couldn't figure out exactly how we got it, but this fell from the sky and it landed at the foot of the king. Okay, okay. this golden stool, and it has bells and everything else on it, and it's it's all gold. It's beautiful. In fact, there's pictures of it um, on this website right here, as well as you can see it. It is beautiful, and so it is just. It holds the soul of the Ashanti Empire, de- deceased and living. So this was their symbol of power. And so how it kind of causes, kind of overlines with the wars is so the Ashanti Empire and the British had actually in all go to war five times um, over the Samir colony. So what happens is the Ashanti Empire is expanding and they essentially get ready to dominate one of the colonies um, that is next to the British trade. And they're like, oh, shit, this is about to mess with my business. So they're like, we got to get in this. So that, although it didn't necessarily start the war right then and there, it did eventually, I believe it was 1874 when they, no, sorry, 1824 was when they first had their first war. So moving right along, eventually the king is like, the king of the Ashanti Empire is like, let's make a treaty. I'm not trying to have no more problems. Let's just be cool, right? And our good friend, Sir Francis Scott from Bridge, from the British, he was like, nah, I don't care. I'm going to invade anyway. And he burnt it down. And he hmm. took the king and the family and he exiled them to Seychelles, which, is, which hmm. was very common, I guess, at that time. A lot of colonizers would, instead of enslaving the leadership or the empire and royalty, they would exile them to islands. Hmm. Okay. Um, which I always thought... If they did enslave them, I wonder if they were worried that Americans or British slaves would recognize, you know, their mm, leaders and yeah. eventually cause a big revolt, which I'm like, ah, wish they would have done it low key. <laughs> 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 but that's another story. Um, but so that happens. Um, and then there is another uh, British colonial official. He's like, I want that golden stool. And it's he wants it so bad to the point where the Ashanti Empire actually gives him a fake one. And he didn't realize it until he got to Britain. And, of course, he's pissed. And now his higher-up, Mr. Sir Frederick Hodgson, he is the governor of the Gold Coast of Barbados and British Guiana. I'm sorry. Forgive me, y'all, again. Again. Okay. Um, But he's like, bring me the stool or I'll make it all your lives hell. He's like, I am the highest in power and I want to sit on that stool. Mind you, <laughs> this is something that is sacred to the Ashanti Empire. Like, it's strictly their symbol of power. Mm. It's not going to elevate this man. It's just something he saw that we, or that we, that they <laughs> really, really cherished, and he wanted it, essentially. And yeah. so because of this, he started making demands again, where he's like, we're coming back if you don't give me back the stool. So, Nanaya Santois. This is where her story comes in. So this woman, she was actually, she had quite a few titles. Okay. So let's start there. Okay. She was the gatekeeper of the golden stool. Okay. Oh. She was appointed queen mother by her big brother who actually ended up dying in the civil war. She was the grandmother of the king and she was the commander in chief of the Asante army. Okay. Mm. Okay. So that she was, it was a very intimate relationship. A queen mother was essentially had a similar influence as a king. Right. So a lot of people tend to think that, you know, when it comes to Africans or in just in general, when you think about royalty, the king is the end all be all, the patriarchal 
a point of view. But in Africa, there were often times where not only did the queens have equal power, if not more, but there were also other equivalent positions within their armies that also had strong influence. And women often led a lot of their battles. Very, very common. They're warriors and often seen as equals. So she was one of them. Um, And so she essentially is like, we got to do something about this. So in a meeting with the other kings and queens um, of the Ashanti Empire, or I should say other royalty leadership, I should say, because I don't know who all was present. Okay. I don't know how many kings and queens I got. So let me leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want nobody coming for me on my storytelling. Um, but so they were like, maybe we should give in. Maybe we should give them the opportunity or try to compromise on our golden stool. So that way they can leave us alone. That's essentially what they're thinking. And she was not feeling it. Mm. She looked her exact words based off this quote. I've keep seeing trending. Now you know how the internet is. So y'all leave me alone. This is where I kept saying though. <laughs> she said, <laughs> I must say this. If you, the man of Ashanti will not go forward, then we will. We, the woman will, I shall call upon my fellow women and we will fight the white men. White spelled with a Y. Oh, okay. Uh huh. She was real. So <laughs> she said she what real. she said. She said she what she said, said with her chest. She said it with her chest. That's what she did. <laughs> she called him coward. She was like, "You don't want to do it. We're gonna do it anyway." And she sure did. She led one of the biggest battles. In fact, more people died in that battle than all of the five or all the other four battles combined. Um, wow. And they won. And what was interesting is that they also described that the British didn't just fight alone. They also had other African allies and Indian allies with them. Mm. So they went up against a couple of folk. Um, Some of the wars were like that, actually, more than just one. But so what ended up happening to her was a year later, she was captured and exiled to that Mm. same island where she would 20 years later die. And she did not get to see that her grandson was able to return back to the Ashanti Empire. Wow. Yeah. But the history of the Golden Stool is still um, res- still resides today, still has the power in the... Um, it's not political anymore. It's not as much of a political influence based off what I read, but it still has very strong significance, still enchanted. In fact, at one point, I don't recall the year of it, but there were some uh, people who stole it, other Africans who stole it, and... Um, took away the bells and the whistles of everything that was on it, all the um, glam. And because of that, they actually um, were almost sentenced to death (laughs) until um, I believe another African power stepped in and stopped it. Instead, they were exiled. So real stuff around here. Um, But very, very strong story. I love to hear that story of Yas Santois. Um, I love, it kind of makes me think of the Stacey Abrams today, leading, Mm. fighting, making very big moves um, on behalf of the country. You know, if this, if y'all ain't going to listen, I'm going to make it work and I'm going to make this happen no matter what. I will do it. Um, So that was just a very powerful and touching story for me. Um, The Ashanti Empire is really a good, good research, um, piece period i would definitely encourage everyone to take a look at it i will say again read with discernment because i saw a little bit of everything when it comes to descriptions and as we know that if american and some of these prior colonizing countries tend to describe african 
empires as savages. They don't even mm. see them as royalty. They see them as tribes only. Um, so just keep that in mind when you're reading about them. But it's definitely a powerful, powerful story. So. Wow, that was so cool. Yeah, I feel like we were right in the heart of Black Panther, the movie. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? It felt like she was like a Koye. Uh, yeah, definitely. So that's cool to be able to hear that. And I think a lot of times when we talk about Black history um, or Black History Month, or at least for me when I was growing up, I don't want to speak for other people. It was very American. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know what I mean? Not that we don't want to, you know, give our credit to uh, African-Americans, but it's good to hear African-American, the African part of the African-American yes. history yes. Um, is cool too. So I find that to be really, really interesting. Um, yeah. Please don't quote me because people about to come for me because I don't have the facts on what I'm about to say. Um, but it was something me and Patrice was talking about. and. Um, as she, I, I, this was my first time hearing the full story of your person, but you know we kind of touched on it a little bit, so we knew we wouldn't, <laughs> you know, cross over as far as people. But, um, you know, I kind of heard. I don't know if I heard it. I don't know if I read it. <laughs> excuse me, somewhere, um, where when Africans were brought over and enslaved, um, the way it's told or way the way it's kind of perceived or insinuated in. American history books is like that mm-hmm. was it you know what I mean mm-hmm. came mm-hmm. home slaves that was it yeah um, whereas there's a lot of like rebellions and there were a lot of wars and mm-hmm. they had a lot of trouble with the African slaves at first and that they reached out to again please don't quote me um but they reached out to I believe it was Britain at the time and was like what's going on we can't get them together like we need help you know what I mean mm-hmm. and they was like well um, are you separating the families? And it was like, no. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, okay. Do they know they're they're from royalty? Do they know they're kings and queens? Uh, well, yes. Oh, okay. Well, then that's your problem. Then uh, are they passing down their history from one generation to another? Like, well, mm-hmm. yeah, probably. Oh, okay. Well, that's your issue. And right. so after that, this concept of breaking up the family was done very intentionally um, to make sure that you know a lot of you know, tales and history and things like that were passed down as word of mouth, especially back then. That's just a normal, even now I can think of some stories and stuff told about, you know, great, great granddaddy or great, great grandma that mm-hmm. you only know because it was told to those before you and thus told to you. And mm-hmm. so um, that was done very intentionally. Um, you know, we've heard again about colorism, right? Splitting us up based on our complexion that was done intentionally. Mm-hmm. Also um, just taking the man, um, and the woman separately taking the children away from the women, like all of that mm-hmm. done very intentionally. And so, you know, our history was erased intentionally. And so I just, I want to make that point very clear here when I'm, mm-hmm. you know, when we're having these type of conversations, um, just for someone who didn't know, because that's, that's not always projected in our American history books. Yep. Very much true. And, you know, something else I actually want to add, not only to the story, but also to what you just said, you know, although people often say, you know, Willie Lynch wasn't real, you know, that, that letter wasn't real. It turns out it was blah, 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 blah. Uh, it happened still. So <laughs> it was somebody. <laughs> right. So whoever wrote it finally described slavery very well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that was very, very much intentional. In fact, um, I encourage people to go watch um, on YouTube. It's completely free. Uh, Dr. Joyce, uh, I believe she calls it, PTSD, post-traumatic slave disorder or slave. Yeah. Dr. Joy. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm, Dr. Joy. Yes. Oh my goodness. Watch that. She literally shows you some of the scientific 
thought theories behind <laughs> all minorities at that time and the things that were said and what was published as far as studies on black women and black men um, and also people of other other um, cultures as well. Um, and to kind of also go back to my um, story on ya, um, Nana Yaa Santua, she, I was not able to link it, link that rebellion to um, re- avenging what was happening to slaves in mm. um in the colonial world um i wasn't able to link it but that does not mean it did not happen because i will say this when i saw that this man spoke on that i saw many other africans or people who are from ghana that's where the shanti empire is now it's modern ghana at this time um also co-signing what he was saying mm. i was not able to find documentation to support it um and we all know how history is, um, like what Shayla just said, oftentimes they feel like it started when slavery <laughs> happened. That's when American African-American history uh, started, and that's not the case at all. Um, so I take it with a grain of salt. I wouldn't be surprised if there was um, some type of, they were getting back and things taking place or people looking at this a little bit differently um, in Africa. I think people really need to understand that slaves in Africa had a very different, oftentimes, I should say, oftentimes, not most, but oftentimes, um, because I really don't know the ratio, but oftentimes had a very different life than slaves in America or in in Britain or in um, Haiti, wherever. Hmm. The slave experience is very different. You're not saying and describing the same lifestyle. In fact, it's actually pretty well known that slaves even in Africa were also became one like the family. Okay, Um, and you're talking about maybe captured prisoners or maybe these were um, individuals who were just provided just to make a peace treaty to this opposing colony, wherever the case was. And I've even heard that in some instances they were actually brought into the family. They were sometimes paid to go to school and, Mm. you know, to also um, maybe these people weren't having children anymore. They were too old and they needed help around the house. And so they had these indentures, these servants who were now Mm. here to help around the house. They weren't being raped beaten, brutalized, you know, stripped from their other families in the sense of being snatched away. You know, um, it is a different lifestyle. It doesn't always mean the same way that it definitely happened in America. Um, and then also the instance of Jim Crow then after that. So I think we need to stop making that comparison of slavery in Africa to slavery here in America. Now, what's happening today as far as slavery in Africa? Do your homework on. Um, but then it was very different. We really have to get away from thinking Africa is these savages who just, you know, they did these terrible things to their own people. So therefore, Americans can do whatever they want. Or maybe we save them. Get that shit out your head. Okay? That is not the case. Um, so, yeah, do your homework, folks. You know, uh, what did, what does consciously say? Uh, what does he say? Uh, um, oh, education over me. Oh no, research over research. That's what he says. That's what he says. Oh, there, there we go. go. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Do some do some homework, folks. It's good um, for you. Taking it back to what you were saying, um, post-traumatic slave syndrome is also a book. Um oh, yeah, there's a right. lot, it's a lot on YouTube. So if you don't know, um, I'm pretty confident you pronounce her name Dr. Joy Debru. Um yes. but yeah. it was fascinating, mm-hmm. like on YouTube, like hearing her speak and she really broke it down. I'm not I mean, 
I'm getting a tad off topic. I'm just going to say this and we're going to get back on topic because I'm sure we could probably do a whole She's another great black woman. Just going to say that. She is. She (laughs) is. Um, You know, her field, um, being a doctor in that field, like she was really able to break down trauma, I think in a way that most of us would consider to be, you know, like if you were thinking about someone in therapy, like, right, a trauma happened, that trauma thus has effects. And so she was, you know, I I watched her one time speak and she was just talking about... um, how um, there was no therapist after mm-hmm. slavery, you know what I'm saying? After <laughs> slavery, that sounds silly to almost say, but it's like, it was unhealed trauma and that gets passed down um, mm-hmm. from generation to generation. And so a lot of the things that we see uh, as far as black culture, she's saying isn't really culture, it's trauma manifesting itself. So it's a fascinating um, theory or concept. Um, so if you haven't checked her out i would do so it was fascinating um moving on i want to dive into that more about my oh. stop right there we will okay. go we will make a sure guess about it. so we will do another segment if we have to to digest that one but it's very good i encourage our listeners to definitely take a listen to that one go yes <laughs> um okay so my my person um is miss marion anderson she was an opera singer um okay so how i came about her was um you know in light of if you haven't heard like our provoke the woke or some of our earlier episodes we talk Mm -hmm. a lot about um sort of woke culture and wanting to be more educated and you know how there's a gap there for us as african-americans specifically um and so i got an encyclopedia of african-american history i'm don't quote me but i'm pretty confident the author um is black or at least one of the authors are black um but anyway i was going through this book in preparation for um, this episode. And I just, I came across her because you just, even today, there's not a lot of black opera singers. And she was like, she did it up big. Um, as far as her story, she was described personality wise to be very elegant. Um, I saw photos of her. She kind of reminds me of like a Serena Williams and I Lathan mix to me, just my own personal (laughs) opinion. Don't come for me. If you see her and you don't feel like she looks like that. Um, and she died in 1993. And I'm like, wow, that kind of, relatively speaking, wasn't long ago when you think about, you know, history. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, that's why I chose to do her because she was pretty and because she was an opera singer and I didn't know about her. So, you know, I took some time to get to know her through this. So um, she was born and raised in Philly. She was born in 1897 and um, grew up, I guess, like many of us in a Baptist church right? Singing in a choir. That's originally where she learned how to sing. Um, At 19, she became, okay, now what Patrice said, excuse her for her pronunciations, please excuse me for mine because (laughs) she worked, she was uh, international. She worked with some um, individual overseas. I'm going to mess their name up, but I'm going to do my best. Okay. So anyway, at 19, she became uh, a student of Giuseppe. I believe his last name is pronounced Bugetti. Um, he was really impressed with her. He gave her free lessons for a year. Um, oh, and he was kind know. of a, yeah, right. He was kind of a famous uh, voice teacher, if you will. Um, you know, he took that up as a profession, was kind of well-known in that space. So that was a big deal that she got that. She made her European debut in Berlin in 1930. 
um, and had just successful tours. I think she did uh, a 1930 to 1932 tour, 1933 to 1934. And then the last one was 1934 to 1935. Mm -hmm. Uh, Received scholarships to study abroad and appeared before the monarchs of Sweden, Norway, Denmark, and England. I mean, if you're talking about the 1930s, that's a really big deal Mm -hmm. for a Black woman to do Mm -hmm. back then. Um, it was said by a great conductor again with the name. Okay. I'm gonna try my best. Arturo Tuscanini, I believe is how you pronounce it. Mm, okay. Um, he was it a sound really, like Italian food, but go ahead. I was just about to say, yeah, he was, <laughs> <laughs> yes, he was a really famous Italian, uh, conductor. Um, uh, but anyway, his compliments to her was, uh, you know, he said that she had the kind of voice that essentially is only heard once in every 100 years. So mm. she was said to have a very beautiful voice. I actually listened um, and it was exactly what people described. So I was able to, I don't even know where I was on the internet uh, searching this, but I was able to hear, um, I'll get to that later, but she she sung at the Lincoln Memorial, which was a really big deal. And it was just, I mean, wow. yeah, it was epic. Um, so check it out. if you If you don't know her, I would definitely check that out. Um, let's see what else. In 1925, she won the, I think it's pronounced Lewison Stadium Concert Award, um, after competing against other singers. I think it was over 300 singers to be exact. Oh my goodness. Right? That was a long day. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, she had a soloist, uh, role with the New York Orchestra. Uh, she traveled all over the world, um, Let's see here. In 1939, she was banned from singing at Constitution Hall in D.C. because she was Black. Um, In protest, First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt resigned from the Daughters of the American Revolution, abbreviated D.A.R., which owned Constitution Hall at the time. And uh, First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt arranged for Miss Anderson to sing at the Lincoln Memorial. I believe it was Easter. Wow. Yeah, right? How powerful is that? Wow. Um, and I think it was like 75,000 people. Um, and when, when I heard uh, her voice and stuff online, they were saying that she was really nervous, but did an excellent job. But, you know, I'm sure she was overwhelmed. I mean, 75,000 people yeah. like, at the memorial. Like, that's, you know, that's big. Um, in 1955, she became the first African-American to sing at the Metropolitan Opera House in New York. Um, in 1957, she made a 12 nation, 35,000 mile tour, um, sponsored by the, the department of the state. Um, so I'm like, that's a big deal. Um, in 1958, she was appointed a member of the U S delegation to the United nations. She won a Grammy lifetime achievement award in 1991. Um, she was also the recipient of numerous honorary degrees And she has an autobiography titled, My Lord, What a Morning. Um, And then in 1963, Lyndon B. Johnson awarded her um, a Presidential Medal of Freedom. Um, So she was really all that in a bag of chips. And her personality was described to be really humble, very peaceful. I hear she wasn't upset that they um, denied her at the Constitution Hall. She just knew what it was. And she was just, you know, seemed like she was going to move on with her life. And Mm -hmm. Miss Eleanor Roosevelt was like, oh, no, no. She said, no, 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 no. Yeah. Um, so this was fascinating. I just, I didn't know anything about her. I wish, um, in my research, I could have found a little more about how she got to Baptist church singing to opera singing. Mm -hmm. 
Oh yeah, right, um, right, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a big switch. It is. It definitely is. But um, you know, I didn't see you know, I couldn't get those details, but I was like, nineteen ninety three really wasn't that long ago. Um nope. and she lived for a long time. I don't know. I was born. Oh, so. Right? <laughs> I'm like, that's really not that long ago. I think she died yeah. in her nineties. Um, so yeah, I just thought it, it was a I thought it was a very interesting story. You know what's so funny too? So I don't know. Did you get an opportunity to watch the inauguration for Joe Biden this year? No, ma'am, I didn't. Okay. So it's obviously all virtual. Uh, mm-hmm. By the way, best inauguration and you do that moving forward, whether we can come together or not, because they was traveling all over the world, you know, with performances. Like it was a whole little BET awards up in there minus oh, okay. the B. But so it was really, really cool. <laughs> okay. Okay. There was B, but not a lot of B. Okay. Leave it alone. Okay. So, <laughs> but so one of the, Black performances was John Legend at his piano singing in front of the Lincoln Memorial. Oh. And it was absolutely beautiful. And it was right after Kamala Harris had also spoke. And I just, you know, it was such a, just, you know, goosebumps up your, up your sleeves. You know what I mean? I couldn't, it was a very moving moment because I couldn't think of how many black people had the opportunity to sing in that, at that spot. You know what I mean? Mm. He's got his piano out and he is singing and it was just so beautiful. And here you tell me that you're a person that has already been there. And I was like, I'm over here crying over him. This happened at a time when it would have been even less likely to take place, you know? Um, just, oh, I love to hear those strides being made. That's so, so huge. That That is beautiful. And you also just never hear about Black opera singers, like ever, ever. You never hear that. What right? was the, um that's what drew me to her because yeah. even today I don't know if I can name one. I right. mean, I'm sure there are some. I just I don't know that they're known. Yeah. You know. I think Jill Scott's mother, she sung opera. I think that's the only one I know and I don't even know her name. I believe Did her mother sung opera. Mm-hmm. Have if you hear I feel, believe uh, Jill Scott channels it in a couple of her songs towards the ending. And she and she actually did a concert out here at um Phoenix Comerica amphitheater and she did it in concert and i just thought oh my gosh it's so amazing and i believe i remember reading about how her mother was an opera singer so that's where she got that from wow yeah. that's crazy and marion yeah. okay you know this better than me because you know about singing and i'm probably gonna pronounce it wrong she was a contra alto is that how you say okay. that okay yeah uh-huh um and i don't think that's common mm-hmm. no that's common for mm-hmm. singers Mm-mm. Um, so Mm-mm. yeah, it was really good just getting to know, um, someone that I, I haven't, you know, I wasn't previously familiar with, you know, everybody yeah. knows the, you know, the Harriet Tubman's, the Rosa Parks, yeah. nothing against that, but I just, I like to, to learn about things that I don't already have knowledge of. And I gotta yeah. do that. There was a post that, uh, Melanie, I believe it was a Melanie Monday quote, or maybe it was, no, it wasn't our Melamade Monday. I think it was just one of our regular posts where it was Zora Neale Hurston. Mm. What she said about jazz music. Oh, being, no, it was yeah. Nina Simone. Was that Nina Simone? I knew yes. it was one of them. Oh, I thought that was so powerful. I was like, dang, there it go. That's it. Yeah, the quote, um, I don't want to get it wrong, but so I should probably uh, pull it up. But uh, going off of memory, um, mm-hmm. it says that jazz is a white term. And... Um, Nina Simone in this particular quote called it black classical music to her. That's mm-hmm. what jazz was. Um, and I was like, Ooh, that's interesting. 
Um, yep. she, she challenged in that quote, she challenged me to think about the term differently. Cause I don't know that mm-hmm. I had previously thought about it. Um, but yeah, that's just, you know, I don't you know. Got it right, cool. by the way. That was exactly the quote. Oh, go was girl. it? Look me, check me out. Go, girl. go ahead. Do you now? Okay. You've been eating your vegetables and your fruit. <laughs> that brain is strong. <laughs> oh, bad. Okay, girl, you you bet, you bet. That's funny. Um, Yeah, yeah, it was cool. That's awesome. I love that. You know, we have, I will say that, you know, with technology and things moving so fast in our lifetime compared to what it used to, we have seen so many firsts. So many firsts. Um, And also a lot of you know, nine eleven, you know, COVID. Like, yeah, <laughs> we don't seen a lot, you know, in our lifetime. Whereas, you know, you have like Great Depression era for you know some of our past World War Two, World War One, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's hitting us back to back. But through it, we have thrived. Through it all, we have thrived and done literally what some that our ancestors probably never even knew was possible. That's real. I love that quote, like, I am my ancestors' wildest dream, um, you know, because I think about those that came before us and, you know, looking down, watching what's happening now. And it's just like, wow, um, yeah. the yeah. things I, I never thought I would see have come. So I can only imagine um, yeah. from an ancestor's perspective what that looks like. But um right. Overall, uh, we hope you guys enjoyed um, the spotlight that we have for our Black women. Black women rock. Black women are magic. Our Mm. next episode definitely highlights Black men. So like I said, we did not leave you out. We coming for you, Black men. We got some good stuff in store um, there as well. Like always, in the description, we will attach, um, you know, all of our sources. You know, that's what we're about. Hopefully you guys will go and take a look at that and maybe find out more than even what we shared. Or maybe that'll sort of take you on a path to to discover Mm -hmm. something else about our history. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that's pretty much it. Patrice. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yes, I do have something I want to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know we've got, we're getting more and more listeners and they are popping up all over the world and it's so exciting. Um, and I think that that's a great opportunity to bring in more perspectives for us all to kind of talk and learn from each other. So, you know, in relation to a lot of the stories and the history, you know, coming from America, I only got America's internet. So, <laughs> like, if there are any historians or great sources, like, we would definitely appreciate a message either coming through Instagram or I believe Anchor also gives you the opportunity to message us as well. Um, and just send us some of your links, your connects, your whatever, uh, what any type of resource. I don't care if it's a YouTube video, appropriate YouTube video, like send me whatever you have. I would love to know where to start because I really would like to learn more about our African history as much as possible. Um, it's it's so important for us to keep that conversation moving. So yes, yes, yes. Send us information, link up with us, and thank you for listening. Okay. Yes. Oh, we love to see it. See the numbers grow in other places outside the US. It's so cool. Yes, we are super, super excited about our international listeners. And also, depending on the platform you're on that you listen to us on, comment, comment, yeah. star, you know what I mean? That way it gives us some yeah. feedback. Um, if you haven't already, definitely check out our IG. 
at Melanated Intellects. Um, you know, be a part of our community there. Comment underneath posts. Like you said, DM. Give us feedback. You know, we yeah. we like to hear some feedback. Let us know how we're doing. All of that is what we live for. So thank yeah. you so much. Until next time, Black Men is coming up next. So yes, come back. My episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mm, bye-bye. <laughs>